This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. My main responsibility yesterday was to eat. And I must say, I did a stellar job of it. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, wherever you are, if you're traveling, uh, seeing family. Great opportunity. Uh, it's, it's a really nice holiday. And it uh, made me think I'll get into some reflections. I do want to mention that the last couple of podcasts, I thought I'd, by the way, pop in here today and do a little shorter one. But there's actually a lot of news to deal with. Since we last spoke, you would think, eh, everybody's away. It's kind of like an unofficial four-day weekend in any event. Um, the last couple of podcasts, uh, we have had some technical difficulties where my voice was sort of dropping out. My producer, I think, did a stellar job of um, dealing with that, but it means that some things were lost. Uh, maybe it seemed like it was skipping around a bit. But thanks to some brand-new equipment attached to this uh, microphone, uh, I think we have resolved that, and you get to hear all of my thoughts, unfiltered as they are, no matter what the level of entertainment, information, media analysis, political bloviation, you get to, to share it right here. Um, so I'm glad to have that cleared up because, you know, it, it's a lot of work to get it together, and then you don't want the microphone to screw up. I, I do want to indulge uh, in some reflections here at the top because uh, I talked the other day, if you were listening, uh, about um, Bruce Springsteen and Howard Stern, this long interview that Stern did that's now going to be on HBO Max. And in any event, both of them said that they had had sort of cold, uh, critical fathers. Springsteen's father was an alcoholic. And that spurred them to try to make it in the business, broadcasting or music, uh, to sort of prove themselves to the parent who withheld affection. And I think that pops up a lot. Now, I didn't have that. Both of my parents were loving and supportive, and I had a sort of normal middle-class childhood in Brooklyn, so I was not some tortured soul who had something to prove, but... I was thinking about my dad, my late father, uh, and the impact that he had on me. And he had a, um, a father who was very stern and unemotional, and that probably prompted him to do what he did in later life. Uh, so recalling my father, Lenny Kurtz, he, um, he sold shirts for a living, and he worked very hard. He went to stores with a suitcase, you know, with suitcases in his trunk um, and was very good at it. I mean, everybody thought he was a great salesman. And maybe there's not that much of a difference between being a salesman and being, uh, you know, somebody who works in the political or media realm. You got to kind of sell yourself, right? But I think the main thing I got from him was, was working hard because, he, you know, he was on the road a lot and it was a tough job. Later in life, perhaps in reaction to his own dad, he 
decided to have an amateur sideline as a comedian. And he, the other thing I got from him is he was always very funny, great sense of comic timing. And people who would hear both of us would think that, you know, we sounded alike, although I've hopefully moved on from the Brooklyn accent, maybe not entirely. Um, and so he started uh, listening to um, you know, all these comedy albums and making t- tapes with a little tape recorder, working on his own act. And then he actually played some clubs in Brooklyn and Manhattan. Uh, he had some kind of stage name, Lenny's something else, and was pretty good at it. But when I was 16, they had me go see him. And of course, as a 16-year-old, you'd never appreciate your parents. They're like, yeah, you're really funny, Dad. But looking back, that was what he always wanted to do. He didn't have a chance to do it. He went to college at night. He was in the Marines. And so he had to make a living. But the fact that he actually, you know, in his 40s, I guess, you know, went out and, you know, it's a tough thing to do to do stand up because it doesn't always work. And, you know, you got to have a a thick skin. Anyway, it caused me to uh, reflect on my dad uh, over these last couple of days. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Now, for the news that I promise you, I'm not just making this up. There's Elon Musk news. (laughs) This happened sort of late in the day before Thanksgiving. Musk put up another one of those polls like he did with Donald Trump, where he had like 15 million people to vote so he could reinstate Trump. And Trump still hasn't tweeted, and I think he's trying to figure that out. New poll. Should Twitter offer a general amnesty to suspended accounts, provided they have not broken the law or engage in egregious spam. Three million people voted in this one. 72% said yes, Twitter should offer this amnesty. Now, i got to hasten to add that, I mean, these polls are kind of like a cover for Musk because these are things he wanted to do anyway. And, you know, I don't know who votes in this, whether there's a lot of bots that vote, whatever. But he now announces amnesty begins next week. Now, naturally, because he's Elon Musk, he's getting hammered over this. But he really gets hammered in this Washington Post news story that it's a news story, but it doesn't make any pretense of being anything other than totally anti-Musk. If it was a, a column or, you know, an opinion page piece, fine. The headline is, Opening the Gates of Hell. Musk to restore accounts, okay? That's a quote from somebody in the piece. In fact, every one of these so-called experts in this story is ripping Elon Musk. So, before I get into it, let me just say, look, I get why it's controversial. Because, first of all, how do you go about deciding who is engaged in egregious spam or 
haven't broken the law because law is different in different countries. But by and large, you know, what Musk is saying is that most of the censorship, the suspended or permanently banned accounts, have been, belong to conservatives. And he doesn't believe, I mean, this was his free speech crusade from the start. He doesn't believe in permanent bans. He thinks that the way to fight speech is with more speech. On the other hand, you know, I have a little bit of mixed feelings here because some of the stuff, I'm sure, posted by some of these banned accounts that are now going to be allowed back under this amnesty, reminds me of the post-Vietnam War amnesty, um, for people who resisted or dodged the draft, um, had some pretty nasty stuff. It might have been anti-Semitic. It might have been misogynist. It might have been racist. uh, It might have been bullying people. And look, if they do it again when they come back, they could get a suspension, but Musk doesn't believe in permanent bans. Is that a problem? It could be. Will that scare off some advertisers? Probably. We'll see. I mean, this whole idea of content moderation, he was going to form this council, he's tossed that out the window. He now, and he also knows that this kind of controversy drives a lot of traffic on Twitter, pro and con, people attacking him. And that's good for for business, but is it good overall for the brand? And that very much remains to be seen. But anyway, it's Washington Post story, Opening the Gates of Hell. That's a quote from a Harvard law instructor who says in the piece, Apple and Google need to seriously start exploring booting Twitter off the App Store. What Musk is doing is existentially dangerous for various marginalized communities. It's like opening the gates of hell in terms of the havoc it will cause. People engage, who engage in direct targeted harassment can come back and engage in doxing, targeted harassment, vicious bullying, calls for violence. I don't think you can get away with calls for violence, but we'll see. Celebration of violence. I can't even begin to state how dangerous this will be. That's the first person quoted in this Washington Post news story uh, giving rise to the headline, Opening the Gates of Hell. Experts say that bots and bad actors can easily skew the results of a Twitter poll. I wouldn't really dispute that. But every single expert is is totally hates Musk. Uh, here's the next woman quoted as an engineer saying, egregious spamming is not a technical term. How do we figure out what that is? And then comes the chairman of Media Matters. Now, Media Matters is a left-wing group that crusades against conservatives, uh, including Fox News. You know, that's what it does. It's set up to do that. There's also groups that do it on the right. So Angela Caruson, who is the chairman of Media Matters, which is described in the piece as a nonprofit advocacy group and media watchdog, as if it has no ideology whatsoever, just a nonprofit group. And that's the thing. Every expert here, it happens to be an expert who leans one way on either the social media spectrum or the political spectrum. So the quote here is that uh, a whole bunch of 8chan, 4chan, conspiracy theorists, and American Nazi Party who engage in harassment and abuse will be allowed back on, turning Twitter into a one-stop shop uh, for operationalizing doxing and harassment, an engine of radicalization. And there's yet another person, director of the Digital Justice and Civil Rights at Free Press, another nonprofit advocacy group that 
you know, obviously has a point of view. Conducting major moderation enforcement decisions on a whim is troubling CEO behavior. Okay, so all I'm saying is, couldn't you find one person on the other side that says, you know, the argument that Musk makes is not crazy because he believes that and so on and so forth. Or if you couldn't find a person because it was, you know, Thanksgiving week, could you at least summarize in a paragraph or two what Elon Musk's case is? Instead, it's all, you know, he's dangerous. It's going to turn into a cesspool. It's going to turn into hell, a hellscape, which Elon had used that phrase, hellscape, that he didn't want it to turn into. So, you know, I know a lot of people don't like to listen to somebody who says, you know what, journalism is about both sides. Let's be fair. Let's be fair and at least have a balance, a negative piece with one positive voice. I mean, I go with this, I've, I've done that my whole life in newspapers and magazines and on Media Buzz, you know, I ask for sound. If the sound all comes in on the conservative side, I said that we must have some liberal talking about it. If the sound all comes in on the liberal side, I said we got to find a, um, a, a conservative talking about it. And I push the staff to try to find that. Now, sometimes it just doesn't exist. For whatever reason, the story was ignored. It was played down. And then I say so. I said, we tried to find it, and it didn't get much attention, or there were only a couple of straight news reports, whatever it is. And I try to be consistent on that. So, moving on from Elon, we now have President Biden, who's at Nantucket for Thanksgiving weekend, um, was asked about these mass shootings. There's been three of them this week. I mean, the absolute horrifying one at the gay nightclub in Colorado Springs, where we still don't know the motive. And I just want to be cautious about that, but obviously it was a nightclub frequented by a lot of gay people. Um, Then there was the one at the Walmart, where the manager went nuts. Classic sort of workplace grievance shooting. And there was a third one as well. And just, you know, the sad thing for me is Although the number of stories have been written about three mass shootings in one week, you know, the, the, the coverage, except for the one in Colorado Springs, all lasts, you know, a half a day or a day because it's become so commonplace. So the president was asked about this by reporters. Um, and he said, the idea we still allow semi-automatic weapons to be purchased is sick. It's just sick. It has no social redeeming value. Zero, none, not a single solitary rationale for it, except profit for the gun manufacturers. Reporters asked Biden if uh, anything can be done. Now that Congress is in the lame duck session, the last few weeks when Democrats are in control before the Republicans take over in January. Biden said he would try. Once he assesses the situation, I'm going to try to get rid of assault weapons. Now look, to give the other side, there are people who say that ban on assault weapons, when it was tried, didn't do much good. It may have stopped some people, and but I don't think the mass shootings were as prevalent years earlier. But now, I mean, we're just flooded with guns. So some people feel like every time there's a mass shooting, regardless of how whether that gun was legally obtained, 
were those guns, in the case of Colorado Springs, an AR-15 assault-style rifle, um, that Democrats say, hey, let's ban assault weapons as if that was a panacea. There are others who say, you know, stop with the thoughts and prayers. Let's do something about it. And there was that compromise about um, background checks and so forth that the Biden was able to work out with Republicans. But he still wants to ban assault weapons. He's been trying to ban assault weapons since he was vice president, and he was Barack Obama's point person on this. And it's very, very hard to do. And the reality is it's not going to happen in this lame duck session because it's a 50-50 Senate. And unless somehow they decided to suspend the filibuster, which is not going to happen, there's no greater chance of doing that in these final weeks of the lame duck than there was in the first two years of the Biden presidency or in Obama's presidency. It's just, you know, there's a very strong gun rights lobby in this country, very influential. And I think public opinion would be more toward certainly stricter background checks and other steps because people are horrified by these mass shootings. But public opinion is divided. And the people who feel like this is a a Second Amendment issue are very motivated and they vote. So there's a balanced report on that. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. Now, another bit of news that dropped literally on Thanksgiving Eve was a New York Times report. Justice Department is seeking to question Mike Pence as a witness in connection with the criminal investigation of Donald Trump, according to two people familiar with the matter. Now, I have the sense from this time story that the Pence team cooperated to some degree. Here's how I know. Pence, according to people familiar with his thinking, well, that's a pretty big clue, is open to considering the request, recognizing that the Justice Department investigation is different from the inquiry by the House January 6th committee, whose uh, overtures he flatly rejected. So he, 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 Pence just came out and said, Congress is not entitled to my testimony on this. And obviously he sees the committee as a anti-Trump vehicle. But a criminal investigation by the Justice Department, when you think about it, here's Pence. He broke with Trump on the issue of January 6th. He said Trump was reckless. He said Trump endangered his life and that of his family. And, you know, it was a harrowing time. All those people shouting, hang Mike Pence, and Trump tweeting, you know, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to stop the Electoral College certification of Joe Biden. Now, the problem here is Trump can slow this up by trying to invoke executive privilege. And that may not work, but it could, again, slow the process down. Um, An agreement for Pence to cooperate would be the latest remarkable twist, says the Times, in an investigation that's already fraught with legal and political consequences involving the former president. But You know, if you're Mike Pence and you want to run for president, he's clearly gearing up to do so. Why wouldn't you want to be seen as cooperating with a criminal investigation of the former boss who you served loyally for four years, who you'd be running against? Now, uh, the Times story has some detail. It said one of the lead investigators 
uh, of Trump at DOJ reached out to Pence's team before Merrick Garland named a special counsel, and that was a week ago now, to oversee this investigation. That's Jack Smith, who, by the way, you know, Trump and Don Jr. and Eric Trump, they're all like, oh, how can this guy be fair because his wife contributed to Obama and she made a documentary film with Michelle Obama. I haven't seen, I mean, online, sure, but I haven't seen much television traction for this. And I just, I will say what I said the other day. People are entitled to have a spouse who has an independent career. And that's the same reasoning used by those who defended conservative activist Ginny Thomas, who was involved in talking to people who wanted to overturn the 2020 election. And I don't think it means that Clarence Thomas, as a Supreme Court justice, should be held responsible for the actions of his wife, who had this career, you know, long before they were married. And so if you take that stance on one, then you got to take the stance on the other. Anyway, um, I don't know whether Pence will cooperate or not. He sounds open to it. He could be subpoenaed. That would be an interesting move, subpoenaing a former vice president to testify in a criminal investigation of the president he served. Wow. So what does Donald Trump have to say about this? Not about the Pence part. I haven't seen him um, sounding off on True Social. But what he had to say about the Supreme Court's unanimous ruling, unanimous, including the three justices that he nominated against him on, this was having to do with the Democratic control for now, House Ways and Means Committee getting access to his tax returns. Here's what Trump says. Why would anybody be surprised that the Supreme Court has ruled against me? They always do. It is unprecedented to be handling over, handing over tax returns, and it creates terrible precedent for future presidents. Has Joe Biden paid taxes on all the money he made illegally from Hunter and beyond? I got to stop right there. There's no evidence that Joe Biden made a dime from anything having to do with his son, Hunter. Obviously going to be investigated by, uh, but there's no evidence that he actually got any money. Did he do things that are questionable? We will find out. The House Republicans will make sure of that. Going back to the Trump post on True Social, the Supreme Court has lost its honor prestige and standing has become nothing more than a political body with our country paying the price. They refuse to even look at the election hoax of 2020. Shame on them. Okay, I'm just going to pause here because obviously a lot of people think, people on the left at least, that with the Republicans blocking Merrick Garland, who now of course is AG, and getting that 6-3 supermajority, you know, applying different reasoning to Amy Coney Barrett's nomination at the very end end of Trump's term. That was okay, but doing it with Merrick Garland when there was roughly a year to go on Barack Obama's second term, that was not okay. In any event, a lot of people will find it amusing that Trump says the Supreme Court has become a political body since that's been the criticism. Uh, He is obviously upset. He's had a number of legal setbacks including on the special master thing, whole different thing, which I talked about the other day. And I will spare you a, uh, another rendition of it, but it's the tough, been a tough week in terms of legal setbacks for Donald Trump. Now there's the possibility of Pence testifying. And here's a story in Politico that caught my eye about Liz Cheney. 
It's about infighting on the House January 6th committee. And it's pretty interesting stuff. Liz Cheney's influence, remember, she's the vice chairman of the committee. Um, and it's obviously fair to say that she thinks that Donald Trump, she has said this, is, you know, represents a clear and present danger if he were ever to be able to be in the White House again. So they're writing their final report. That's what this is about. And Cheney's influence over the committee's final report has rankled many current and former committee staff. According to this political report, they are angered and disillusioned by Cheney's push to focus the report primarily on Trump and have bristled at the committee morphing into what they have come to view as the vehicle for the outgoing Wyoming lawmaker's political future. You know, would she run for president? It's going to be like 20 people running, I guess. 15 former and current staffers who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss internal deliberations express concerns that important findings unrelated to Trump will not be available to the American public. Well, obviously the hearings were available to the American public. The feuding brings to a fore to the fore, a level of public acrimony within the committee that previously had largely played out behind the scenes. So, that's the accusation, but there's another side to it. Okay, so let me just continue with political. Several committee uh, staff members were floored this month when they were told that a draft report would focus almost entirely on Trump and the work of the committee's gold team, excluding reams of other investigative work potentially left on the cutting room floor or relegated to an appendix, were many revelations from the blue team, the group that dug into the law enforcement and intelligence community's failure to assess the looming threat and prepare for the well-forecast attack on the Capitol. They would also cut back on the green team. How many teams are there? Which looked into the financing for the January 6th attack and the purple team, which examined militia groups and extremism. Now, here's a blind quote from a former committee staffer. We all came from prestigious jobs, dropping what we were doing because we were told this would be an important fact-finding investigation that would inform the public. But when the committee became a Cheney 2024 campaign, many of us became discouraged. Here is a spokesman for the committee defending what's going on and in pretty aggressive terms. So this will give you the entire other side of the story. Says the spokesman, Donald Trump is the first president in American history to attempt to overturn an election and prevent the peaceful transfer of power. So damn right, Liz is prioritizing understanding what he did and how he did it and ensuring it never happens again. Spokesman's not done. He goes on to say the following. Some staff have submitted subpar material for the report that reflects long-held liberal biases about law enforcement, excuse me, federal law enforcement, Republicans, and sociological issues outside the scope of the select committee's work. She, Liz, won't sign on to any narrative that suggests Republicans are inherently racist or smears men and women in law enforcement or suggests every American who believes God has blessed America is a white supremacist. Wow, that's quite a punchback. So in other words, on the one hand, you've got these other 
staffers for these other teams saying, you know, Liz Cheney is just using this for our own political future, and, and we have all this important stuff, and it's going to be cut out, and we're really upset about this. And you have the spokesman for Liz Cheney and the committee saying, look, these are a bunch of liberals whose work wasn't that great, who don't like Republicans, who have a narrative about how Republicans are racist, who are letting their own liberal biases show, and we're not going to include that unless it, you know, reaches a certain level of professionalism. Now, that is a person, I think, who's primarily speaking for Liz Cheney. Here's another guy, Tim Mulvey, the spokesman for the committee, saying in a separate statement, the panel's historic, bipartisan fact-finding effort speaks for itself, and that won't be changed by a handful of disgruntled staff who are uninformed about the committee's ongoing work. They've forgotten their duties as public service public servants, and their cowardice is helping Donald Trump and others responsible for the violence of January 6th. All nine committee members continue to review materials and make contributions to the draft report, which will address every key aspect of the committee's investigation. How do you like that? Oh, one final thing I got to get in here, which also was news on Thanksgiving Eve. How could I have possibly overlooked this? Sarah Palin has been defeated. Now, this gets a little complicated because um, Sarah Palin had ran, as you'll recall, months ago, tried to revive her political career for the single House seat that represents Alaska. And that was a, uh, for just to fulfill the rest of the term this year after the death of the congressman who had held that seat for roughly forever, um, and Sarah Palin lost to a woman who was a native Alaskan, Mary Peltola, who is a native Alaskan, beat Sarah Palin months ago for that portion of the unexpired term. This election was for a full two-year term. And Palin lost again. I guess there was a lot of recounting going on. It's not, uh, it wasn't that close. She lost by almost 10 points. And by the way, Lisa Murkowski ended up winning re-election. She's now an independent who kind of, who does caucus with the Republicans. She won 53% of the vote over her uh Rivals. They have, they have ranked choice voting in Alaska, which gets kind of complicated. Anyway, so there's a kind of a, well, this is it for Sarah Palin. She tried to revive her political career. And it recalls uh, this New York Times piece that, you know, the, the Republicans in Alaska have largely moved on beyond, beyond Sarah Palin. And, you know, it's hard to remember now, but when she was picked as John McCain's running mate and before she stumbled badly in that campaign... I mean, she was a superstar. Uh, She was the hockey mom who, in many ways, you know, coming out of the Tea Party movement and so forth, in many ways, was a precursor of what we have seen with Donald Trump and and others in the Republican Party. And even after the 2008 campaign in 2012, according to polls, for a while, she was considered the front runner for the Republican nomination. She ultimately chose not to run. 
She signed a contract with Fox News. Uh, she wrote a best-selling book. And, you know, she basically became a celebrity and seemed out of politics and then decided this was her opportunity to get back in. And look, uh, she will always be a historical figure. I don't think she's going to run for anything again. Kind of must be a big disappointment for her not to be able to win that House seat, given her fame. But it's there's some analogy to Trump, I guess, in that, you know, it looks like some other Republicans are not just going to roll over for him, even though he's the absolute frontrunner for the GOP nomination. But there may be a challenger, numerous challengers, and he's not going to waltz to the nomination. So just a little footnote there on Sarah Palin. Once again, hope you had a terrific Thanksgiving or are having a good Thanksgiving weekend. Thanks for listening. Appreciate your time. We're back here Monday with more BuzzMeter. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.